Time now to talk a little um, NBA basketball as uh, we welcome in Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports Senior NBA Reporter and uh, new author uh, with a book uh, called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Before we get to that uh, and how you pen that book, uh, Jake, welcome to the show. You're with Kevin Carius uh, and our co-host, uh, Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhrer. Uh, welcome to the show. What's going on, guys? How are you? Well, we're looking forward to this uh, little chit-chat. Uh, let's start last night. <laughs> I mean, I caught the tail end of the Bucks nuggets game in the fourth quarter or so. I mean, that was star power, uh, uh, as much star power as you can imagine. What did you make of that game last night? Yeah, a potential finals preview, right? And I think, you know, a lot of the way I watch the regular season these days through my work lens is trying to watch who they're trying to figure out things about. And, you know, Milwaukee, it's the first game with head coach Doc Rivers. They're trying to see if there's any tangible differences between the defense and the offense under a new coach compared to Adrian Griffin. And the big takeaway the whole time to me is just Denver remains the juggernaut. They have a complete five-man lineup that was obviously unbeatable in a serious format last playoffs. And to me, as fun as it was with the Wolves and the Thunder battling down uh, the pike in the West, I think Denver remains the, the favorite for the title until they can be unseated. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Grant. So with the Lakers playing so well in the in-season tournament, and since that's ended, what's happened to them? Well, I think the in-season tournament was a fun rallying around LeBron moment for that team. You know, the, the bracket also broke well for the Lakers where – their, their steepest competition was the Phoenix Suns, and they had injury issues. I don't think Devin, I don't think um, Bradley Beal really played at all in any of the Suns' in-season tournament activities. And I think there was a lot of momentum with LA, being that LeBron wanted to win. He wanted to have the first banner. He wanted to have the first tournament on his resume. And it was in Las Vegas where he wants. He made no secret about it. He wants to own a team once that expansion gets done. And Adam Silver even joked about it when he handed the trophy at half court. So I, I think that there was some like undercurrent of that where LeBron, you will, the league is solid by taking this first iteration of the tournament seriously. And he wanted to kind of be another crowning moment in his uh, campaign, I guess you could say, to try to be the, the primary owner of whatever a team does make its way to Las, to Las Vegas. Is this a, Are they going to do this tournament 100% for sure next year, you think, Jake? It's definitely coming back. Adam Silver's made allusions to that in, in multiple press conference settings. I don't know if we're going to have the exact same format. I think in talking to people at the league office like Evan Wash, who is one of the, the leading minds in all these types of scheduling ideas, he helped create the, the, the play-in tournament as well. They're, they're thinking about ways to further incentivize the, cha- the champion of the tournament and how to figure out the best way to optimize the scheduling. But I think the overall goal for the league was to have more enthusiasm about regular season games, which pretty much all these games besides the championship game counted as a regular season game. So that was successful in that regard. I think the bigger goal for the league was to have it be able to be some standalone property where – an Amazon or another entity would be willing to come into the league next uh, media rights negotiations and buy that tournament and, and just have the rights to that. I think we're from that goal, though. 
just makes me think the league is going to try to keep juicing up that product. Yeah, all about the dollar bills. Jake Fisher, our guest, uh, Kevin Carey's Grand Fury Sports 1440. What did you make of the trades the Toronto Raptors made? Uh, you know, their deadline has happened, uh, you know, weeks prior to the deadline of uh, February 8th, but uh, just your take on what the Raptors did. Yeah, I think, you know, to say it's over might be a little bit shortchanging in the fact that they could still move Gary Trent Jr. and Chris Boucher, and I know they'll get calls on Dennis Schroeder as well, but I think the overall takeaway was Toronto last year this time, you know, they still had Fred Van Vliet, they still had Nick Nurse, and Messiah Jerry's front office believed in that roster and hoped that maybe just adding a, a true starting center and Jakob Pertl would be able to raise the floor of that group that, that still had a lot of vestiges from that 2019 championship run. And it just, it just wasn't the case. You know, Nick Nurse... His voice ended up running out, and Fred VanVleet walked in free agency for nothing. And I think that fear of having that issue happen again, where Pascal was an expiring contract, OG Ananobi had a player option for next season that he was definitely expected to decline. And I don't think the Raptors wanted to wait and, and risk the chances of either of those guys leaving without giving anything in return, just like VanVleet had been this past June. So... I think it was an ultimate like teardown move, but the Raptors also had opportunities to get back pieces like Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett and, and Bruce Brown, who's going to be another retrade candidate here. But in, in the interim, there are actual pieces to build around as opposed to like tearing this down to the studs. And that they believe Scotty Barnes can be a franchise centerpiece, so they now have two young running mates in Quickly and Barrett to pair them. And we'll see what happens with Bruce Brown Jr. here as the trade deadline picks up next week. Grant? So, through the first half of the year, who would you be your biggest surprise? I'd say the Minnesota Timberwolves. Not that I didn't expect them to be good, but I didn't expect them to be this good. And, I mean, they've been pretty wire to wire, the, the best team in the Western Conference this season, where we had Denver, as we talked about, and the Clippers and the Suns are supposed to be up at the top of things and Golden State and Sacramento. Like the Wolves have just corrected every issue they had last year, which seemed to be like a season from hell almost when they, by all accounts, kind of overpaid for Rudy Gobert, right? They gave up five first-round picks and multiple young players, and it just didn't work out. They, they barely made the playoffs. They put up a, a, a whimper of a fight in the first round against Denver at a 4-1. And to come back this season and have it all work out, where Chris Finch is on the leading of the pack and, and coach of the year stuff, and Anthony Edwards continues to take steps forward, I, I think the Wolves being like this, not dominant, but I'll say just strongly shaped and putting out like a real night-to-night effort here to go into a tough environment, OKC last night, for example, on the road, and Never really kind of be in doubt, but that, that, that was, that's been impressive to me. Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports with us on Sports 1440. Having said that, uh, is the balance of power and does Minnesota have to still go through Denver, do you think, uh, in the West? Is Denver a better team than Minnesota right now? I do think that. I do. I, I think they're a little bit deeper. I think Minnesota, with all those assets out the door for Rudy Gobert, it's left them empty in terms of draft capital to really be able to make any extra improvements here. And, and they don't really have 
like a young piece that's in the development program that they're coming uh, and, and hoping is going to be taking the next strides where Denver's got Peyton Watson and Christian Brown and Julian Straff and this young core of guys that they think can continue to develop on rookie contracts and help them add much needed depth behind that five-man lineup. I think Minnesota is still a little bit aggressive in trying to look at what type of backup guards they can find on the trade market here. Yeah, so, yeah I, I still think Denver is the team to beat in the West. Go ahead, Grant. So going into playoffs this year, who would be your biggest sleeper? I think they're not so quiet right now, but to, to, to shift this over to the Eastern Conference, the New York Knicks, I think, have a real chance to be an absolute problem for any of the teams at the top from Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia standpoint, where Dylan Brunson's playing at a real all-star level, all-star game, even though he wasn't named a starter. And OG Ananobi, that, that trade from Toronto mm-hmm. we were just talking about, he's been absolutely perfect. For, for New York and Tom Thibodeau's rotation there, like plus 46 for 100 possessions or something crazy like that. Um, definitely in the 40s when OG Ranubi's on the floor, which is just an insane statistic. Nikola Jokic, his numbers are around like 15 points per 100 possessions better when, when he's on the floor in Denver. So this goes to show that's what a, a crazy impact OG Ranubi's had, and I don't think New York's done. I think they're still looking at what they can do with – Evan Fournier's expiring salary, and Quentin Grimes, a, a fun young guard who has some interest around the league, has fallen out of Tom Thibodeau's rotation. So if they can get another piece from the door, you know, it'll depend on how bad Julius Randle's uh, recent shoulder dislocation will really be. But I think the Knicks at full strength, at full health, they could be as viable a threat in the Eastern Conference as anybody. Jake, what about uh, Indiana? What do you see the Pacers doing here in the next little bit? The Pacers, I think... Obviously, they made their big move with Pascal Siakam. I, I still think they're on the hunt for just maybe a little tweak and an upgrade here, being that they still have a bit of a front court line jam where they trade for Obi Toppin, who's, who's played very well for them uh, late in, in the free agency window. And they drafted Jarris Walker, a power forward out of Houston. They have Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson, all before they got Pascal Siakam. So there's still. Uh, opportunity for them to maybe trade two players for one that I think on the wing they could definitely benefit from having another two-way defensive uh, three-and-D-minded player. But they're supposed to get Tyrese Halliburton tonight mm-hmm. when the Pacers play Boston on TNT. And this is really going to be the, the, the stretch of the, of the second half of the season here is really going to be about having him healthy and having him and Pascal Siakam develop some chemistry that they really haven't had a chance to being that Halberton's had some injury stuff here ever since Siakam came to town. Jake Fisher, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440. Fisher from uh, Yahoo Sports, senior NBA reporter and also the author of the book Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. How did this book come about, Jake? Yeah, thanks for asking about it. It's you know 300 interviews I did, over 300 interviews from... GMs to star players to coaches and uh, player agents, and it really highlights 2013 to 2016, those NBA drafts and all the backstories behind them, secret pre-draft workouts and trade negotiations and coaches and GMs getting hired and fired based off of the the rebuilding opportunities there. And 
you know, it really just kind of highlights, I think, the rise of analytical-minded executives around the league where Sam Hankey came to power in Philadelphia and well, Boston traded KG and Paul Pierce the same night that Sam Hankey started the process there. And it just kind of highlights how to win a title, their offices are calculating their odds more and more every single year. And one of the biggest calculations that we've learned is that championships are often won by players who are top five players in the league, and most typically they're drafted in the top five, and the most direct route to get them, not by trade, not by free agency, but by being bad, by tanking and getting those lottery odds. And that's why you saw us do what they could to get Victor Wamanyama, and two years before that, or three years before that, we saw such a tanking race for teams to try to get Zion Williamson. So I think that that strategy is going to be here to stay as long as the dividends continue to be so positive. Mm -hmm. Grant? Yeah, I was going to say, do you still see it in today's game where teams will play bad, maybe not on purpose, but they may not put the best team out on the floor? So that's why the book's called Built to Lose, because the roster is <laughs> designed to be insufficient and full of young players who are getting opportunities, but they aren't exactly uh, well-versed in winning right now. So, yeah, even in this year's draft, the 2024 draft is, is not considered to be, you know, a draft with that top obvious guy. But you still see the Washington Wizards. They're going to trade Bradley Beal away for Phoenix last year. And the word right now, as the trade deadline's approaching, is that the Wizards are looking to move any, any and everyone on their roster as long as they can get future draft capital. You know, the Oklahoma City Thunder are, are a clear benefit from it. You know, they – traded away their veterans to get their real crown jewel and shake Otis Alexander, but you know, Lugan's door to first round. Nathan got Chet Holmgren number two. Jalen Williams is a stud that they got in the lottery, where all of a sudden you look up and the Thunder are the two seed in the West after really being at the bottom of the standings for a couple of years. So you you can really see in OKC in particular the obvious benefits of what stacking some of those top five pick guys can really do for you. And it's no coincidence that the guys running Washington that we were just talking about, their new GM and president, Michael Winger, and his number two in command, Will Dawkins, they originated from Sam Presti's Oklahoma City. Hey, Jake, if you were to say who your final four are uh, in going to the NBA Final Four Eastern and Western Conference Championship uh, right now, who would you say and who's meeting in the final? I'm going to say Denver, like we talked about, and one team in the West I haven't given love to yet on this interview is the Los Angeles Clippers. I just think with their three-headed all-star monster, of James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, if they're healthy, they're going to be really, really tough to beat in a seven-game series. In the East, I'm going with Boston, and I'm going with Philadelphia, hmm. and I think it's going to end up being a Denver Nuggets-Boston Celtics finals right now. Wow, it should be a good one. We're looking forward to this uh, little bit of a stretch run. Thanks for your time, Jake. Really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with the book. Thank you, guys.